0: Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. With the first U.S. presidential debate set for tonight, our first guest is uniquely qualified to make some sense out of what's been a crazy campaign. John Lashinger is a veteran political campaign manager. He's led races for all three levels of government, and overseas. His races have covered all sides of the ideological spectrum. Everybody from uh, Mike Harris to Olivia Chow and David Miller, Um, he has been both a winner and a loser. So he really knows this game inside and out. He's just out with a book that lays it all out. It's called Campaign Confessions. And now, I hate to date myself, but the first time that I met Lash, as he likes to be called, I was assigned to cover the provincial Tory leadership campaign of Larry Grossman, if people remember who that was. Uh, and I remember that when convention coverage was reviewed in the newspaper, I was referred to as a younger reporter. <laughs> that was, uh, I hate to say it, 1985. Uh, Lash, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh,
2: thank you for having me.
1: Well, a, a lot of what you say in this book is, is really relevant uh, to today. One of the first things that you cover is a desire for change. And, and I was not aware of this, but you've quantified it that uh, when uh, people are polled and their desire for change hits 60%, that means the incumbents are in trouble.
2: That's correct. And that, and, and that applies in, in Canada. Well, when there's th- usually in most races, there are three major parties. There's a liberal, the NDP, and a co- conservative or PC party. Uh, but when the time for a change gets over 60%, um, the, the incumbent... You know, is, is in some difficulty, uh, and they will lose. Uh, Harper, going into the 2015 election, the time for change was 70%. So he knew he, um, that he was in trouble. And if you're in trouble, you've got two things to do. You can say, scare the uh, the people and say, if you vote for those other guys, you'll be in deep trouble, they'll spend you into oblivion, or they'll, you know, cause take away your health care or your safety net or whatever or uh, you try and become a change agent yourself and say I've been listening to the people and we're going to do this this and this and try and take become the agent of change. Harper decided to scare people tough it out and on election day he got 31 percent of the vote which is that meant 69 percent wanted change. Right. Nothing, so nothing worked during the campaign.
1: And, and ironically, his tactic seems to have worked to Justin Trudeau's advantage because uh, he kept saying, you know, this guy's in short pants. He's not equipped for it. So he lowered expectations. That's
2: right. In, in, in all the campaigns I've done, the 50 of them, uh, there's two major forces time for change is one. The other one is expectations. And what Harper did in 2015 with his just not ready ad, although he's got cute hair, uh, was drive uh, the expectations for Trudeau down very low. So when he showed up for the first debate, he exceeded expectations because everyone thought he was going to be a, a failure. And if you transfer that into uh, American politics today, it's oh, a time for change and expectations. Let's deal with change first. Hillary Clinton is seen as the non-change candidate. She's going to uh, have a, a third Obama term. Obama couldn't run, but she's going to run and do much of the same things that he did. She thinks he was on the right path, the right policies, etc. Trump is – the the time for – he's the change agent. So Hillary has to be convince people that the change that, Obama, or that uh, Trump is suggesting is risky, is dangerous. And in fact, I've met a number of Canadians who are following this US election probably more carefully uh, than in the past um, because they're afraid that the, the nuclear button is going to be too close to Donald Trump. And we're not that far away, that if there was a nuclear problem, we'd be right in the middle of it. So and the second force that's playing tonight is expectations. Nobody thinks that Trump is going to win this debate. He doesn't know any policy. Uh, he's
1: inexperienced. I think he. I think he might. He's oh, he's a superb TV player. He's no really pleasure. experienced, and he comes across in a way that that Hillary doesn't That's and right. can't.
2: That's right. So tonight, or, or for the last two or three weeks, it's been interesting to watch the campaign people for Clinton and Trump trying to position their candidate, and they're both trying to say. In Trump's case, they're trying to say, "Well, he's never done this before. He didn't even do any mock debates." They're trying to lower the expectations so that they can do what Trudeau did, exceed them. Hillary's people are saying, "Oh no, he's a very, he's a TV produce personality. He knows how to work a crowd. He's been doing this all his life. He's a you know he's a salesman." So they're trying to build Trump up. Um, we'll see what happens.
1: Uh, what. Is the level of the desire for change in the States, do you figure? Seventy. Seventy.
2: It's exactly what it was in, in Canada. The last These are numbers I saw about two weeks ago.
1: Seventy. So uh, because there are really only two candidates, does that, do you think that will play out differently? Um, uh,
2: yes, it will. Because in this case, you've got a, a fairly popular president – his, his approval rating, Obama's approval rating right now is higher than it's been for a long time. And if he was running against Trump, I mean, it would be no contest uh, in my view. Um, but Hillary is going to benefit from Obama, but she still has this huge de- desire for change. And so tonight in that debate, she's going to have to convince or try and convince Americans that there is a risk getting this change that you want and so she's got to acknowledge the desire for change and not poo-poo it but she's got to be very she can she's got to raise the risk factor
1: I'm just going to give the numbers out again because uh, we want to hear what you think and what you expect and perhaps what you are looking for for tonight, or if you have a question for Lash about how mm-hmm. to read these entrails. The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 I'm here with veteran campaign manager John Lashinger, and we are talking about tonight's debate, and also about his new book, Campaign Confessions, which is a a really fascinating read if you're interested in politics. Uh, And Lash, one of the things that struck me, um, nothing seems to have mattered in this campaign. People seem to have set ideas, and the facts don't seem to get in the way. So uh, how does a debate play into that? Uh the, uh,
2: the facts in a debate don't matter. The um, debates are not won or lost on policy or on policy or the details of policy issues. Uh, they are how a person conv- uh, holds, you know, presents themselves, how they comport themselves. Um, the, um, the winner will be someone who is able to connect with the people. With the values that they say they want, and in Canada, those values are are um, humility, courage, compassion, um, a, a sense of uh, self-deprecation. Uh, people they like people like their politicians to, not to take themselves too seriously. I'm not sure the number or the values are the same in the U.S.
1: Uh, I'd be pretty sure they aren't.
2: Yeah, you know the Americans are are a bit more, you know. If there's a fight, Canadians will hold somebody's coat. The Americans are right in the fight. Uh, but um, but, but, but uh, as I say, people will not. The other problem that Hillary's got tonight is that he, she is debating a right-wing populist. Right-wing populism is a very powerful force. We had it in Toronto with Rob Ford. Rob Ford was a right-wing populist. He knew nothing about deba- about issues, but he answered every phone call for 10 years, and he was a penny pincher for 10 years, and he had a brand image and values that Torontonians wanted at that time. Even though they knew he was a, a bit of a buffoon and a, a, a loudmouth and a bully, it, it didn't matter. Tr- Donald Trump is a right-wing populist. And and, and and what populists are, the people they attract are, are people who don't like government. They, they don't get anything out of government. Uh, they don't like the elites, media. They hate the media. And so every time the media reports that Donald Trump has lied 12 times this week, they say, well, that's not his fault. That's the media's fault. They're just making that up. Uh,
1: so there's this kind of... Disaffection um mm-hmm. there's a lot being made of the white male vote for yeah. trump D- do you college
2: s- educated Non-co- non college uh, n- he he hasn't got that he he hasn't got the college white educated vote he has the non educated white vote
1: and and that coincides with the the people who have uh lost jobs and lost income because of the changes in the economy.
2: But it's not just that, because it it isn't just education and income. There's a whole bunch of rich people and well-educated people who like right-wing populists, maybe because they don't like government.
1: Uh, But uh, it seems to me that, that, you know, you you put your finger on it. What's happening there is similar to what happened here with Rob Ford, and— I think possibly what happened with the brexit vote in the u k right. uh, it turned out exactly the way the elites were sure it would not turn out right. uh, so uh how do you see that
2: well it's uh, i think that I think you're right I think there's a cleavage in our society that's getting bigger, the uh, the haves and the have-nots, or the, the the elites and the, and the non-elites. That there's less uh, communication. I mean, Occupy movements uh, came came in and and uh, allowed people to you know to say or Black Lives Matter. I mean, all of these kinds of of populist movements, the elites uh, uh, poo-poo them at their peril.
1: Um, let's uh, let's take a call. Uh, we've got Ed in Toronto. Hi, Ed.
0: How are you? Fine.
1: Lady. How are you? Uh,
0: not bad. I, I don't uh, quite agree with this guy too much because uh, he talks about Trump and uh, Ford in the same uh, manner. And uh, he talks about Trump's lies. And obviously, uh, he doesn't listen to Jimmy Kimmel, who said he... Uh, Ford was the most honest politician he ever met, and he's met them all. Eh? Uh, okay. And also, uh, uh, Ford answered all the calls, and and actually had the uh, media trailing or uh, trailing him everywhere. He tried to hide from them, uh, but they wanted to report on everything. So, his equation of the uh, media, I don't. Uh, Follow completely.
1: Okay, well, ask him about that. Thanks, Ed. Um, You
2: know, I I acknowledge that Ford had a brand image, you know, Penny Pincher, and he returned all his calls. But his answer was pretty simple to every question. What do you think about the environment, Mr. Ford? I'm going to stop the gravy train. Well, what do you think about education? I'm going to stop the gravy train. I mean, he just had, and if, if you listen to Donald Trump, I'm going to make America great again going to make America great again. He, he, but it's again, as I said, these debates and will not be decided on policy and if, if Trump is able to con- connect with people uh, uh, or if Hillary is able to connect with people. Hillary's challenge is she's got to convince people that she has a motive for what she wants to do and, and not just ambition. Because people think she's just got the ambition. She she thinks she deserves this job. She's been training for it for thirty five years or whatever. You know, her husband had it, so she wants. I mean, that's not good enough. She's going to have to connect with why she wants to do these things, the people she wants to help.
1: Um, before we go to break, uh, a final question uh, about how is it different? Because she's a a woman, a female candidate.
2: Well, you know, there's three. This debate tonight, there's three firsts. There's a male and a female for the first time. There's a politician and a non-politician, someone who's never been elected. And the the last point is that uh, there are um, uh, a controlled, seasoned, uh, measured person versus what most people would say is a loose cannon. So this is a, a first. Um, Hillary, as a woman, has several advantages, but there are significant – and in the book I talk about it – there are significant uh, – she can be aggressive, but, if she, but she can't be too aggressive because people don't like a female to be aggressive. They, they recoil from it. It sounds shrill. It sounds you know, out of character. So you know, Trump can be more aggressive and, and get away with it more. Um, there's a number, a number of others. I mean, there is a sexist uh, barrier she has to break.
1: Um, what about this business that it's a, for, a first and an important first? Uh, uh, does that only resonate with uh, women voters of a certain age?
2: It seems to. It seems to connect with the older women uh, in the states. Um uh, she's had less success in getting the younger millennials um, and uh, so so that's that's an issue um, you know I, the uh, but anyway, we will see tonight um, it also doesn't you know the very first debate that uh, Obama had in the last election uh, uh, against Romney Romney was supposed to lose the election the, the, the first debate and he came out and he beat expectations and because Obama didn't bring his A game to the table Obama was trying to sound like the president and trying to be laid back the big mistake in a debate for any candidate is not to be on their toes to be aggressive you got to challenge everything you got to be in the game you can't sit back and wait and and wait for an opportunity because people The other guy will run or the other woman will run all over you.
1: Well, uh, Justin Trudeau, as I recall, uh, did that. Um, I'm going to give the numbers out again. Uh, 416-360-0740. Toll free one 866 740 We're talking about tonight's debate. Want to hear what you have to say about it, what you'll be looking for. Uh, it's interesting, you know, I think that our audience here in Canada is following this in some ways a lot more closely than, than people who actually uh, will be able to vote. That's uh, right. One of the things that kind of, fascinated me that I heard was that the Trump campaign uh, was lobbying that the host not be allowed to fact check during the debate. Yeah.
2: Well, again, you know, the, uh, the host is, is Fox News. Fox News is closely aligned with Trump. He's the only news outlet that Trump will talk to. Uh, so I find it... P- Passing strange that, uh, in fact, Fox was allowed to do the first debate because they—they they are almost the, the media arm of, or seem to be the media arm. Lester of Lester Holt of Trump. is
1: the moderator.
2: Well, the, the moderator is from Fox as well, though.
1: Yeah. So, so so he's well, but Trump has had trouble from Fox, especially with that whole Megyn Kelly thing.
2: Well, but they seem to they seem to patch that up pretty good. And today, as I said, the only newslet that that he Talks to or puts out releases to is is in fact Fox News. So, but uh, we could have a debate as whether you know it's the responsibility of the moderator to fact check, or the responsibility of Hillary Clinton to say, "Hold it, Mr. Trump. That is that is a lie, or that is factually incorrect, or whatever she wants to say." And, and and I sort of lean to the fact that you know the, the candidate should do it.
1: Yeah, it just might be uh, hard to check everything while she's in the middle of the debate. Yeah,
2: but but it's also hard for the moderator to yeah. look like to interfere in the, in the to and fro of the debate. You don't want the moderator doing that.
1: Okay, uh, so um, you know, back to uh, some of the campaigns that you have covered here. Is was there a parallel you think uh, for for the mayoral race? With, Ford and Olivia Chow before John Tory came in to what's happening over there now. Of course, at a whole different level with different stakes.
2: Yeah, in a, in a sense, but uh, I mean, Tory came into the race before anybody. I mean, uh, F- Ford was in first, Tory was in second, and Chow was in third. Um, now everyone knew for a year that Chow was going to run. The and they didn't know about Tory until you know maybe January or February. Of, of 2014. Um, but the, uh, that race, I mean, the time for a change benefited Chow and Tory because the time for a change was 67% in Toronto. They wanted to get rid of the Fords. Um, the, the race that I, I referred to is the 2010 one where he won because he had a brand image and he represented change, and people wanted to change from David Miller. They just wanted to, uh, you know, Miller had been a great mayor, but uh, he had a garbage strike, and people got upset by the stink of that, and nothing seemed to come out of the garbage strike.
1: Um, You were David Miller's campaign manager. Twice. Twice, and uh, I mean, also, I think it shows you've had, you've had, Races on all sides of the political uh-huh. spectrum. When when I first started covering your races, you were known as a conservative campaign manager. Right. How did that all change? I, uh, well,
2: I started to like this uh, the business, and I became a professional at it. And I've run campaigns in you know, Central Asia for a uh, uh, a, a new uh, a new you know, a new democracy uh, because the person was a good person. And the same thing with Miller or Chow, or uh, or Ernie Eves or Mike Harris or whoever. I mean, I work for good people. I get paid. After uh, after the, the, the election is over, I don't uh, stick around and, and take a patronage job. I, I move on to my next campaign. So,
1: so it's a matter of, of doing a campaign for the person rather than the party or the yeah. ideology. And it's
2: and it's and, and it's. it's It's earned my livelihood for the last, you know, since 1985.
1: Are there campaigns out there that you would like to be managing coming up?
2: No, there's a couple. But again, you know, I I, I get to know about it when when my phone rings.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So, If you had to make predictions about tonight, what would they be?
2: Oh, anything could happen. You've got two people under tremendous pressure. And they're both uh, well. Uh, you know, one could make a mistake. One could, you know, make a uh, a large gaffe. Uh, it's hard to. You know, I think it's fifty fifty. So it's like the polls today.
1: Okay, um, let's take uh, one more call before we go to break. We've got Neil in Oakville. Hi, Neil. Hi.
2: My question is, um, what are this gentleman's thoughts on the on the last federal campaign and the last the last uh, provincial campaign because I, I, I really thought they were poorly run uh, on the loser' side. Um, well let me take uh, in the last provincial campaign I, I think that's uh, common uh, knowledge the uh, the candidate who was uh, from the, the who was uh, the leader of the uh, the PC party. Uh, made a uh, a commitment, a policy commitment that came got very dangerous, and people the, the the liberals used it against them and stopped whatever chance they had of winning. Um, the uh, back to the federal campaign, uh, it was a classic example of time for change and managing expectations. The time for change was seventy percent; people wanted change. The expectations were that uh, Justin Trudeau would not ex- would, would not show up. That he didn't have the talent. He didn't have the uh, the gravitas to, to be the prime minister. Uh, and the NDP went into that campaign in the lead. The NDP decided that they didn't want. They tried to represent change in a cautious way. They were going to bring in a whole bunch of spending. Uh, Programs, But they were going to balance the budget. And to the Canadian people, that sounded like more of Stephen Harper. He's going to balance the budget. Justin Trudeau said, no, I'm not going to balance the budget. I'm going to spend. There's going to be economic stimulus of $10 billion for infrastructure. He became the sole agent of change. And the Canadian people gave him the gold medal on uh, election night.
1: Okay. That is all the time we have for this. Uh, John Lashinger, author of Campaign Confessions, uh, Tales from the War Rooms of Politics. Uh, By the way, that is going to be our prize for this week's Knockout Call of the Week. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.